Um, yeah, so the reading this morning is Revelation chapter 15, um, and we're going to read um, chapter 15, verses 1 to 16, verse 1, and then we're going to pick up down at verse 10. Chapter 15. I saw in heaven another great and marvellous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass, glowing with fire and standing beside the sea those who have been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name they held harps given them by god and sang the song of god's servant moses and of the lamb great and marvelous are your deeds lord god almighty just and true are your ways king of the nations Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked, and I saw in heaven the temple, that is, the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore gold sashes round their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. So we'll jump down to verse 10, where the fifth bowl is poured out. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven, because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed, so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne, saying, It is done. Thanks, Lise. Morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Keep that open. Let's pray together for God's help to understand it. Father God, we thank you once again for your word to us. And as we look at this particular section of your word, help us to think about it. Help us to see in it what you would have us see, and help us to live in light of it for your glory, we pray. Amen.
Well, this morning we come to our third cycle of judgments in the book of Revelation that come in blocks of seven. You may remember when we began this series back in chapter four with a, with a vision of God seated on his throne in all his regal splendor. And in his hand was a scroll, a scroll sealed with seven seals, a scroll which represents the unfolding plans and purposes of God. And as each seal is removed by the Lord Jesus, so we see further into God's plans of salvation and judgment. That was our first cycle of seven. Then that vision was followed up with a vision of seven angels with seven trumpets. And with each trumpet blast, God announces another series of judgments on this world. And if you remember that the, the language, that the pictures were, were graphic and intentionally so, Seven loud warnings designed to wake up this sleeping world and bring it to its knees in repentance. Seven seals, seven trumpets, and then this morning we come to our third and final cycle of seven bowls. Seven angels, each with a bowl filled up with the wrath of God, ready to pour it out on this world in judgment. But as we'll see, this isn't just another series of judgments. This, in fact, is the final. It is the last series of judgments. Have a look at verse 1 in your Bibles or on the screen. This is what John saw. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with seven last plagues. Last, because with them, God's wrath is completed. There are no more cycles of seven to come. This is the final cycle. And that's why this morning, this section finishes with, with that climactic battle that is known as Armageddon. But before we come to the bowls, before we come to the battle, this section actually begins with a victory scene and a victory song. Have a look down at verse two and three. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire. And standing beside the sea, those who'd been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name, they held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. The setting, of course, is heaven. And as we watch this this victory scene unfold, our gaze is drawn once again to the throne of God in heaven. A throne that is surrounded by this sea of glass. And standing beside this sea of glass, we find the victorious church in full song. Those who've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Those who've continued to be faithful to God and have not grown weary in their walk. And you see, you just look at a couple of verses like that, and there, there are so many different questions we can ask of a few verses like that. Why is the glass made of, why is the sea made of glass? Why is the sea glowing with fire? Why is this victorious church given harps and no other musical instruments as they, as they enter into this song of praise in glory? We can keep asking the questions. But the question that I ask myself, that got me thinking was this, why are they standing beside the sea? Why are the victorious church standing beside the sea? And I think the answer to that question 
is to point us back to the first exodus. Do you remember when God's people were in Egypt and God delivered them from Pharaoh's hand with, with mighty acts of judgment and with the blood of the Lamb and he led them out of Egypt, a pillar of cloud and of fire, and they arrived at the Red Sea with the Egyptian army pursuing them and there was nowhere to go. And God, in his wonderful kindness and grace, he parted the mighty waters. They piled up on both sides. And God's people walked safely through to the other side on dry ground before the waters came back into their place, wiping out the pursuing army. And so God's people stand on the other side of the Red Sea and sing this song of victory praising God for his deliverance. And you can read it in Exodus chapter 15. Well, here in Revelation chapter 15, once again we find God's people standing beside the sea in victory. This time it's not the Red Sea in Egypt, but it is the glass sea in heaven. And as they stand there, safe on the other side, just like Israel, safe on the other side of the Red Sea. So God's people here stand safe on the other side of the trials and the tribulations and the spiritual oppression and the hardship of this life. And as they stand there, safe on the other side, around this glass sea, so they sing this glorious song of victory. It's a (laughs) similar-ish Seen in a very small way, isn't it, to a, a Sunday morning when we hand out the instruments here and, and, and we stand to sing and we throw the instruments out to the children and they use these instruments to join in this song of praise. But that's where the similarities end. Because you see on that glorious day around the glass sea in heaven, there'll be no awkward tapping of tambourines. There will be no secret shuffling of feet. There will be no mumbling of voices. It will be a scene of uninhibited and unending praise. All directed towards the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb who was slain. And look at the lyrics that they sing. Look at the song in verse 3 and verse 4. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. It is a song that speaks of God's holiness. It is a song that speaks of God's justice. It is a song that speaks of God's glory. And it is a song that will be sung by all the nations of the earth. You see, when God's people came out of Egypt all those years ago and stood safe on the other side of the Red Sea, there were approximately one million people. But you know what? Those one million people all came from one nation and they spoke with just one tongue. However, by the glass sea in heaven, there will be a multitude, not of a million, a multitude that is too great to count, and it will be a multitude from every nation, every people, every language, and every tongue. It will be a victory scene like no other. And it is a victory scene that is intentionally placed here that we need to keep in view. Because right now, we've not yet joined that victory scene in heaven. 
And we live in the heat of a spiritual battle today. One day we will join that multitude around the glass sea. But while we live in the heat of a spiritual battle today, we need to keep our gaze fixed upon what will be one day for us as well. Firstly then we have a victory scene and a victory song. Secondly, we have seven angels who are ready for judgment, who are ready for action, sorry. I look at verse 5 and 6. After this I looked and I saw in heaven the temple that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Back in chapter 4, verse 1, we began with an open door into heaven. Here in chapter 15, verse 5, we've got another opening into heaven, but this time John doesn't walk through. Instead, he watches as these seven angels come out, and as they exit in verse 7, they're each given a bowl, a golden bowl, that is full with the wrath of God. And as we read in verse 8, these, these final plagues, these last seven plagues, are so significant, so weighty, is God's glory and judgment that no one can enter the temple until these seven plagues are finished. And so as we arrive in chapter 16, I think the picture is a pretty clear one. We've got seven angels, each with a bowl in their hand filled with the wrath of God, and they're ready to execute the final judgments of God. They're just waiting on the call. And so it comes, look. In chapter 16, verse 1, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go. Now is the time, says God. Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The voice from heaven speaks, and the seven angels obey. So you see, the judgments that follow, these judgments that are poured out with these seven bowls, they aren't arbitrary. They aren't reckless. They aren't random. They aren't haphazard. This is a controlled administration of justice, directed, orchestrated from the throne of God above. When I was uh, 17, I managed somehow to, to get a job as a waiter in a hotel. And we did a bit of silver service stuff, which included uh, weddings. And I remember one particular one for the wrong reason. It wasn't my finest hour, uh, but I was delivering the starter uh, which happened to be bowls of soup. And so I think you can probably see where this one's going. But I've got a couple of bowls lined up on each arm. And as I've made my way to one of the tables, don't know what it was, handbag or chair leg or something, it's caught me. Over we go. Four bowls, tomato soup, all over this table at a wedding. It wasn't top table, thankfully. But it was a table, people covered, as well as table covered in tomato soup. That's not what's going on here in chapter 16. (laughs) These bowls are not accidentally spilt. These angels are carefully directing where these people go. God is directing from his throne. He knows exactly, the angels know exactly where they're going. And they know exactly to whom they're going. This isn't a stumble and slip scenario. 
This is a controlled, directed outpouring of judgment against all that is wrong in this world. And we need to keep that in view as we look at these seven bowls together because it's not haphazard. This is God bringing justice in his world. So firstly, we have a victory scene and a victory song. Secondly, we have seven angels ready for action. And thirdly, we have seven bowls that are now poured out in judgment. As you can see from the screen, the first four bowls are closely aligned with the first four trumpets that we looked at back in chapter 8, with each bowl being poured out on a different part of God's creation, the land, the sea, the rivers, and the sky. But you see, with all the similarities that you can see between the first four trumpets and the first four bowls, there's one really significant difference. The first four trumpets, if you remember, affected only one-third of creation. Do you remember that repeated phrase 12 times? It came up a third, a third, a third, a third. God's judgment was restricted, limited, restrained to one-third of creation. But here with the bowls, there's no restrictions in place. God's judgment here is unrestrained and total. And as we said a few times as we walk through the book of Revelation together, these visions that we get are both about the now and the future. They give us a heavenly perspective of what is happening now, today in our world, the mess it's in and why it's in this mess. And it also gives us a perspective from heaven of what will be on that final day. But you see, I think as we move through the book of Revelation together, what we see happening is this, an an increasing intensity of judgment and an increasing focus on that final day when the Lord Jesus returns. And that's why this particular series of judgments climaxes as it does with that great battle known as Armageddon. But before we get there, have a look at verse 10 and 11. And our fifth angel who poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. But they refused to repent of what they had done. Here God's judgment is directed towards the beast and those who have the mark of the beast. And you see the language there at the end of verse 10. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven. You see, instead of waking them up to their sin, God's increasing judgment only goes to increase their hatred of him. There is a growing animosity towards God, which results in a direct assault on God, which is described for us In the sixth plague. Have a look at verse 12 onwards. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast. And out of the mouth of the false prophets. They are demonic spirits that perform signs. And they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. And then verse 16, then they gather the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called 
Armageddon. The river Euphrates, the great river that you read of there in verse 12, was the boundary line between the people of God and the enemies of God. And here the waters have been dried up, which paves the way for the gathering forces of evil to launch their final assault on God and on his people. And in verse 13, we find the unholy trinity at work. In contrast to the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the book of Revelation presents to us an unholy trinity of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And out of their mouths come three impure spirits that look like frogs, which, as we learn in verse 14, are a picture of demonic spirits. But what is their purpose? Well, you can see it there in verse 14. They're to go out. They're to deceive in order to gather together all that they can for one final assault on the throne of God. And in verse 16, we find them gathered together in one place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now, a lot of people waste a lot of time trying to put a pin in the map and work out the exact location of this final battle. But I think what we should have learned already from the book of Revelation is that's a pretty futile task. Because the book of Revelation isn't a literal description. It is a vision. It is a picture book. It's full of big, bold, visible pictures, colorful symbols. We shouldn't be thinking about a military battle in a specific physical location. This is a vision. It speaks of a spiritual battle between a victorious God and the enemies of God. Not a physical battle involving tanks and nuclear weapons. Just as the frogs in verse 13 aren't real frogs, they're symbolic of these evil spirits that go out to lie and to deceive and to gather gather together this army against God. So Armageddon is a symbol, not a specific place to be identified, but it is a symbol of where this final climactic battle will take place. And so the scene is set. Enter, stage right, our seventh angel, with the seventh bowl in hand. And as the seventh angel pours out this bowl, we're expecting to hear a description of the final battle. But instead we get a simple statement of victory. Have a look at verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. It is done. It is done. Jesus has one. I don't know about you, but as a, as a football fan, if I've been in a meeting and my team's been playing, I'll, I'll come out of that meeting and the first thing I'll do is jump onto my BBC Sports app. And what am I looking for? I'm looking for the results. That's all I need to know. I need to know the results. At a later point, I might go back and watch the highlights. I, I might meet, I might read a, a match report. I might look at some of the detail. But initially, I'm not bothered about the detail. I just want to know who won. And it's exactly the same here. The detail of that battle can wait, and it will wait, in fact, to chapter 19, when we get a fuller description of that battle. But all that matters now is the results. And the result is clear. It is done. Jesus has won. 
You see, the seventh bowl, just like the seventh seal and the seventh trumpet, speaks of that final day when Christ returns in glory to fully eradicate evil and to establish his eternal kingdom. But until then, until the day the Lord Jesus comes back, until the day we are delivered to stand beside that glass sea in heaven and join that joyful noise, sound of praise. The question is, what does it look like for us now to live in the heat of this spiritual battle? We've seen all the way through this book. The battle is raging, not just in heaven, but in our hearts to live for Jesus. So how are we called to live before we take our place around the glass sea in heaven? And this is where God's word is so wonderfully sufficient because it doesn't just give us the facts of what has been and why it's been and what will be and why it's been. It gives us the application as well. It gives us the implications as well. And so we finish looking verse 15 of chapter 16. But before we read it, look at where it's situated again, if you've got your Bible open. Verse 14, the forces of evil gather. Verse 16, they gathered together in the place called Armageddon. Then sandwiched in between this great gathering of evil, we have these precious, precious words from the lips of the Lord Jesus. Just when the battle is at its fiercest, our loving Savior speaks to his church from heaven. And what does he say? Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked And be shamefully exposed. Three things to note. Number one, Jesus is coming back like a thief in the night when you least expect it. Number two, blessed. Blessed is the one who stays awake and is ready for that day. Three, shamefully exposed is the one who falls asleep when he should be on guard. You see, what we have here is a picture of a soldier on active duty living in a time of warfare. And when the invading army comes, you don't want to get caught relaxing with your pajamas on and your comfy slippers on and your feet up. You need to be dressed, boots on, sword by your side, ready for action. And that is the call for the Christian today, living in a time of spiritual warfare. We need to be on our guard. We need to be dressed and ready for action. We need to be awake spiritually to the schemes of the evil one. And that is the repeated challenge that comes again and again to the seven churches that we read about in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. You may remember some of these challenges. The church in Ephesus started well, but had forsaken her first love. The church in Sardis had the reputation of being alive, but they were in fact nodding off. The church in Philadelphia had grown lukewarm and were called to renew their fellowship with the Lord. And of course, these are all dangers for the church in Long Crendon today. Forsaking our first love. Forsaking Christ as our hearts are drawn to other things. 
Nodding off to the schemes of Satan through prayerless activity. So incredibly busy in life. So much going on. One thing to the next. But we never stop to think. We're in a spiritual battle. And we need to pray for God's help to stand for Christ every moment of the day. But sometimes we just march on oblivious. Nodding off instead of being awake. Grown lukewarm in our faith. Sort of committed, partially committed, but are we really committed to the things of Christ? Are we fully at the races for Jesus, knowing that the day of the pouring out of that seventh bowl is imminent? The call from this passage is to renew our fellowship with the Lord Jesus daily. Blessed, says Jesus. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed. So as not to go naked and to be shamefully exposed. I'd recommend to you all this afternoon over lunch on your own. Wife, partner, as a family. To get that verse open, verse 15. And ask yourself the question, what are the specific implications for me today? What does it look like for me to be ready To be fully dressed and ready for action for Jesus in this world. What are the dangers? How am I in danger of falling asleep spiritually to what is going on? To drop in my guard so I'm not ready to stand fully for Christ in this world. This is what we do with God's word. We hear it, we think about it and we take it away and we we pray into it and we ask ourselves, what does that look like for me? What are the dangers for me? And we ask the God of heaven to give us all the grace that we need to continue to stand for him. You see, the day will come when the seventh seal is opened. The day will come when the seventh trumpet sounds. And the day will come when the seventh bowl of God's wrath is poured out. And on that day, we can say, it is done. It is done. Jesus has won. But until that day arrives, until you take your place with your brothers and sisters in Christ from every generation around that glass sea in glory and sing that final deliverance song, we need to stay awake spiritually. And it is our job and our joy. Encourage one another. It's where we started with our children's talk. It is our job and our joy to help each other stay awake as well. As we live for our Saviour and our King. Shall I pray for us? Father in heaven we ask that you would help us. As your church today. In this particular slice of history. In this particular geographical area. Lord God, help us as your church to stay awake. Help us to live in light of the knowledge that the Lord Jesus is coming back like a thief in the night. He is coming soon. Oh Lord, how I pray for each one of us in this room that we would be ready for that day. That we would live our lives fully dressed and ready for action, ready to stand for you in this world. Lord, that we would not be shamefully exposed on that day. Father, we need your help. 
We pray for your help. We pray for your grace. We pray that you would remind us of that day that is to come. That deliverance song. The song that speaks of your full and final rescue. A song of endless praise in eternity. Father, as we long for that day, we pray for our friends and our family that they too would join us standing beside that glass sea in heaven. But Lord, until that day arrives, please help us as your church to stay awake. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. We pray all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.